Welcome to the PCTR Podcast. I'm Robbie Itterberg, Senior Pastor. I want to thank you for listening today. We hope that you hear from God and that this podcast encourages you in your faith journey. You can connect with us on social at facebook.com slash PCTRNJ or our Instagram handle, PCTRNJ. Or you can find more information or resources at PCTR.org. Have a great day. Peace. It's uh, great to be back. It's been about six or seven years since I've been here, so uh, none of us are older, right? We're, uh, we all look great. Uh, before I speak, though, I want to bring up a couple of guests. Uh, Portia and uh, Wintergreen, come on up for a minute. Let's give uh, these guests a hand. Uh, they... They got up very early today just to be here, but as many of you know, you have been partners with Urban Promise for over 20 years. You've helped our ministries in Camden, helped build our schools, and so uh, how are you this morning? I'm, I'm good. Good. And can you, uh, can you tell us your name? My name is Winter Grace. Winter Grace. That's a beautiful name. And what grade are you in? I just graduated from fifth, and I'm going to be in sixth in September. So you just graduated from fifth grade. You're going to be in sixth grade in September, and this church supports your class. Is that cool? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, um, and I'm going to just say hi to you. Who are you? I am Winter Grace's Oma, her grandmother, Portia. Grandma. And... Um, you were telling me before, you, you work at Subaru. What do you do? I do. I'm a customer advocate at Subaru. I take people's phone calls and give them money. <laughs> so if anybody owns a Subaru out here afterwards, uh, no complaints to you, right? Uh, but, you know, I'm just curious, from the perspective of a grandparent, uh, why is Urban Promise important to your family? Well, can I, may I? Um, for a number of reasons. One is that Winter Grace is thriving there, both academically and socially and emotionally. Um, and during the pandemic, it wasn't unusual for us to get a knock on the door where one of our community leaders from Urban Promise would come by with a box of food. Never thought that was gonna happen from a school. And one day, knock on the door, Dr. Bruce Main was there at our house. And that just moved me so because uh, a few weeks ago, I was privy to go to an, a fundraising event. Subaru gave me a ticket, and the place was packed. And he saw me, and he remembered me. That meant so much to me, and I know that they'll remember Winter Grace and all the other students there, and they're making a huge difference. So. Thank you. Thank you very much. <clears throat> So, you know, again, we couldn't do this without you, and we're so grateful for this partnership. And really, over the last 20 years, you've, you've helped us build uh, this ministry. So thank you again. Just a few words of scripture that I want to read to you this morning from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is a prophet. He's writing to the Hebrew people. The situation for the Hebrew people is, is bleak. They've been exiled. Uh, they've lost everything the temple, their land, they're disoriented. There's a sense of despair. And so this prophet comes to this people with this word of encouragement 
And this is what he says, God gives strength to the weary, and God increases the power of the weak. And even though youth grow tired and weary, and young men and women stumble and fall, but those that hope, those that trust in God, they will soar on wings like eagles, and they will run and not grow weary, and they will walk and not grow faint. This is the Word of God. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for this congregation, our friendship, our partnership over the years, and I pray this morning that as we ponder these words that you would challenge us, bless us, encourage us. I ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. My notes. Might need, I might need those. I, uh, I can't resist, a, you know, Father's Day, maybe telling a little Father's Day joke. Is that okay, Robbie? Uh, you're allowed to have you do that? Okay, so, so there's this uh, young woman, and she's bringing her fiancé home to meet the folks to get the okay, and they have dinner, and then afterwards the wife says to the husband, hey, why don't you take him upstairs and into the study and get to know him a little bit? And so the, the father takes the, the future son-in-law up to the study, and he says, a young man, you know, I'm just curious, what are you studying? And, and the young man says, I'm studying theology. I want to be a pastor. The father says, well, that's great. Um, my, my daughter's going to need an engagement ring. What are you going to do? And he said, well, I'll study and God will provide. The father said, well, you know, she's used to living in a house. What are you going to do about that? And the young man said, well, I'll study and God will provide. Father's getting really worried at this point, and he says, you know, my grandkids, they, they're going to need food, education. What are you going to do about that? The young man says, well, I'll study and God will provide. Well, they wrap up the conversation, goes up to the bedroom. Wife said, how'd it go? And the father says, well, got good news and bad news. Wife says, well, give me the bad news. Well, he's got no job and no prospects. <laughs> well, what's the good news? He thinks I'm God. <laughs> Nobody under 21 ever laughs at that joke, you know? <laughs> a few years ago, I had my leaders together. Uh, we have ministries around the world, and so we had our directors on a retreat from Little Rock and Charlotte and Miami, Trenton, Wilmington, Toronto, Vancouver, and we're sitting in a big circle. And I asked the directors, our leaders of these different cities, I asked them this question. I said, what's God teaching you? And so we went around the circle. We finally got to a young man named James Russell from Wilmington, Delaware. And James looked at his peers, looked at me, and he said, well, this is what God's teaching me. He said, God writes a better story. I said, James, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, Here's the story I have for the Urban Promise kids in Wilmington. I want them to graduate from high school. I want them to go to college. I'd love to see them get married and have a family. I'd love to see them get a great job. And then I'd love to see them become a donor of Urban Promise. I'm like, wow, that's a great story. I, I don't think it could get better than that. And then James said, but this is what happened. I had a 14-year-old kid named Giovanni that I was very close to. I tutored him, took him out for his birthday, mentored him. 
he had a record with the juvenile justice system and one night he was out in the neighborhood and he got mixed up in something he shouldn't have gotten mixed up in and he got sent away to prison. And our director James said, that just broke my heart, crushed me. I thought the story was over. I thought it was done. And James said, you know, I sent him notes occasionally when he was in prison and finally after five years, Giovanni got out and I was one of the first people he called. And we were talking and at one point Giovanni said this and he said, I'll never forget it. He said one night he, he was sitting on his bunk bed, he was reflecting on his life and he asked himself this question, where did I experience the most love in my life? And he said it was at Urban Promise. And he said, he asked himself the question, what was it about those people? And he came to the conclusion that they were all Christians. And so there in prison, Giovanni made a profession of faith, started attending chapel and Bible study. And also while in prison, Giovanni went to barber school and he learned how to cut hair. And so as they're wrapping up the conversation, Giovanni says to James, he says, James, I know you live in the neighborhood where I used to live. I'm wondering if I could set up a barber shop in your living room on Friday nights and cut the hair of the drug dealers and their kids. And so James looked at us and said, so now on Friday night, Giovanni is in my living room cutting hair, sharing God's grace and God's love with other young men and women in the community. And James looked at me and he said, I could have never written that story. I thought the story was over. My limited imagination would have never allowed me to think of that, and here it is. And I believe God writes a better story. Now, I don't know about you, but that line has just stuck with me. I can't let it go. I mean, when I think of five years of theological education, if I was to take all that and just boil it down, into one pithy sentence. I think that's it. I've built my whole calling around that reality. No matter what zip code you grow up in, no matter what you've done, no matter what your history says, when God is invited into the story, when God co-authors our story with us, it's just better. Now, I need you to hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying, I'm not preaching some prosperity gospel here. I'm not saying that God writes a more successful story. I'm not saying God writes a perfect story. I'm not saying God writes an easier story. Because we all know that life happens. Pandemics happen. Stock markets crash. People get sick. Our children go off the wall. Relationships fall apart. Life happens. But here's what I'm saying. When life happens, we have a choice, don't we? Do we invite God into the story, or do we try to control the narrative with our limited minds and our limited imaginations? And I believe that when we invite God into the story, our stories become bigger, our stories become more hopeful, more purposed, I'm sticking with this sentence, God writes a better story. And so I started my ministry career as a dancing bear. 
They called me Brucey Bear. Robbie, I don't know how you started your ministry career, but I had a bear suit. And I would dance around and tell stories and sing songs with the kids. Actually, I was sharing last night that Brucey Bear had a rather tragic ending. I, uh, my wife was out one night, Pam, some of you know her, and she was out with her girlfriends. It was late, and I decided I was going to pull a little prank on her. So it was dark in the house, and I put the bear suit on, and uh, I got into bed. <laughs> Lights are out. My wife comes in. She's trying to be quiet and uh, sneaks up, you know, gets into the bed, rolls over. She screams, and she says some words that I can't repeat here in a Presbyterian church on a Sunday morning. I thought it was funny. The bear suit disappeared. And that spring when the, when the snows in our backyard melted at 242 North 37th in Camden, <laughs> there was something of, uh, that looked like the charred remains of the Brucey bear suit. So that was Brucey bear. But one of the songs I used to teach the kids was a song called, it was called Got a Reason, a little gospel song. Went like this. Got a reason for living again. Uh-huh. Where's Josh? You there, Josh? Uh-huh. Got a reason for living again. Uh-huh. Got a reason for laughing again. I got the love of God in my heart. And then all the kids in the audience, they would go, Monday. And then Brucey e. Bear would go, I was all alone. Tuesday, I had my sins to atone. Oh, come on, you guys. <laughs> Wednesday, I cried and cried. Lord, I thought I'd die. Friday, I started to praise. I read my Bible all day. Day, Lord, the heavens did part. I got the love of God in my heart. Josh, can, you think I can make your choir? I didn't think much of that song. A couple of years ago, we had another young man that got out of prison. First person he called was Marcus Bell, one of our staff workers. During the conversation, Marcus said to Joseph, he said, what would you like to do? He said, I want to go bowling. So they went to the Cherry Hill Bowling Alley. At one point, Mr. Bell says to Joseph, Joseph I'm just curious, how did, you, how did you survive those few years that you were locked up? And Joseph, this former Urban Promise kid, one of those little kids that used to be entertained by Brucey e. Bear, got up on a table at the Cherry Hill Bowling Alley and he said, I used to sing those songs, Mr. Bell. And then he started singing, got a reason for living again, uh-huh. And you know, I thought about that. Here's this kid in a prison cell. Monday, I was all alone. Tuesday, I had my sins to atone. Wednesday, I cried and cried. Thursday, Lord, I thought I'd die. Friday, I started to pray. Saturday, I read my Bible all day. Sunday, Lord, the heavens depart. I got the love of God in my heart. Joseph's not going to Harvard. He probably won't become a session member in a Presbyterian church, but let me tell you, yeah, Joseph's life is better because God is now part of it. 
You see, God writes a better story, not a perfect story. God takes our history, our wasted years, our mistakes, and God does what theologians say. He redeems it. You see, God doesn't want to negate us or erase us. God accepts us for who we are and then enters into that story and transforms it. That's what the Gospel is all about. That's what redemption is all about. I remember my first car out of college was a 1966 VW Bug. 16,000 miles on it when I bought it. I paid $300 for it. I loved that car. I dated my my wife in that car. I got through grad school in that car. When we moved from Los Angeles to New Jersey, I drove that car into the back of a U-Haul truck. When we got to Camden, I lent it out to my staff. They used it for dates on weekends, and finally one of my staff didn't check the oil and burned the engine out. I was crushed. So the 66 bug is sitting in front of my house. I've got three kids under the age of six. I don't have two nickels to rub together. I can't fix the car. My wife keeps saying, Bruce, what are you going to do with the car? Three months go by, six months go by. Finally, one day, my neighbor comes across and says, hey, do you want to sell your car? I'm like, how much are you offering? He said, well, how much do you want? I paid 300 for it. I said, 300 He said, done. I got eight years of use, and I broke even. The car disappears. Six months later, I'm coming out of my house, in front of my neighbor's house, I see this beautiful cherry red, shiny VW Buck. I, I get a little closer, the chrome hubcaps, and, and I look inside, there's leather interior, and there's an eight-track cassette deck. You're old if you remember what that is. <laughs> it's my car. It's not a BMW or a Lexus. It's still a VW. It's just a better version than itself. It's been redeemed. When God enters our story, the good news is that God redeems us, returns us, restores us. God writes a better story. So we come to the prophet Isaiah. And what we learn from from reading the book of Isaiah is that the people of Israel, they had pushed God out of the story. There wasn't justice in the marketplace. They didn't care for the poor. There was no truth anymore. The people of Israel said, basically, we can write this story on our own. And Isaiah comes back and says, no, 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 no. You want strength for the weary, power for the weak? You want wings like eagles? Well, guess what? Invite God back into the story. Trust in the Lord. That's a better story. God writes a better story. Not a perfect story. Not an easy story. A better story. I'll close with this because I don't know where some of you are. Some of you may be experiencing really difficult things and say, you know what? I don't know how I'm going to get through this. A friend of mine lives in Morristown. His name's Tom. 
His daughter went to school in Savannah, Georgia, SCAD. She was studying equestrian therapy. She wanted to work with kids, troubled kids, using horses. So my friend Tom, he got on a plane a few years ago and he went down to Savannah and he spent the day with his daughter. She took him to the equestrian center. They're walking up because she wants to show him her horses and as they're walking up the sidewalk, he notices on a pole to the right, there's this glass green rooster. And so my friend Tom says to his daughter, Katie, Katie, what's that? And she said, I don't know, Dad. Somebody put this rooster there, and it, it absorbs the sunlight, and at night it glows, but whenever I come to the stables, I, it just makes me happy. So they finish the trip, and Tom comes back to Morristown, New Jersey. He goes online, and he finds the artisan in Savannah who makes the glass roosters, but they didn't have any green ones left, so he orders a, a white glass rooster, and because he wanted to put it beside the front door so that when Katie came home for her summer break, she would see that and be happy. A couple days later, Tom got a call that none of us would ever want to get. Katie had been in a horseback riding accident. She'd broken her neck, and she was being airlifted to CHOP in Philadelphia. That's a really bad story. And within seconds, this family's life was turned upside down. They start going to the hospital to visit their daughter, praying for some kind of miracle. One day, Tom comes home after a visit. There's a box from UPS on the front. He opens it up. It's the glass rooster. And my friend Tom said, I just wanted to take that rooster and I just wanted to smash it on the sidewalk because it represented everything bad that had happened to our family. But rather than doing that, he put it back in the box and shoved it in the closet. They continued to go into the hospital each day and work with the doctors. One day, Tom's sitting on the front stoop of his home and his other daughter, Riley, comes out and she's carrying the box. And she opens it up, she says, Dad, what's this? And my friend Tom says, well, when I went down to see Katie, I, I saw this and I was gonna put it beside the front door because it was gonna make her happy when she came home from school, but just, just take it, throw it away. And it's not even the right color. I wanted a green one and it's white. And, and then Katie looked at her dad and said, Dad, Katie's still coming home. She's just going to be a little different. So my friend Tom goes back into the computer and he logs onto the artisan in Savannah and he orders 100 glass roosters. That guy had a really good day. He starts handing them out to friends and family and neighbors in his community, anybody that would pray for his daughter. And so you'd start driving around Morristown and you'd see these glowing roosters. And this tragic, horrible story began to get just a little better 
and a little bigger. And people's lives began to be touched and changed by the testimony of this family. I saw Tom a couple of weeks ago, and he said to me, Bruce, I would never want this on anybody. But he said, my eyes have been opened to see things that God wanted to show me that I could have never seen if this hadn't happened. Not a good story. But with God in the center of it, it's a little bit better. God writes a better story. Walter Brueggemann, the Old Testament theologian, said this, are we open to the possibilities of God that transcend our need to control? When God enters a story, God has the ability to move beyond anything that we can ever imagine. Let's pray, gracious God, What a privilege to be able to invite you into our stories with the promise of forgiveness and grace, power, strength, wings of eagles. We pray that we would let go of our need to control the narrative and that we would trust you because you are a God who writes a better story. In Jesus' name, amen.